Hi, Tom Bernard here. You're listening to Best of the Family. Enjoy the show. Thanks for listening. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Uh, we're just trying to represent people who have been injured through no fault of their own. We're trying to talk to them before they talk to an adjuster or before they take a settlement that isn't something they should get based upon their injuries. How many people are out there in different, not in the law business, that love to run around scaring people before you even get to them? Well, adjusters will want to settle cases right. and they want to close files. So based upon that, they do what they have to. Um, I think there's a lot of circumstances where they probably act as attorneys where they're not attorneys and they try yeah. to explain people's rights or they give them a certain view that if they look at it. And what I always say is this, if the adjuster really truly thinks the offer they made makes sense, they'd have them come see us. You know? And that's exactly my my question is, you have to understand who has the best, your best interest in mind, correct? Well, you want to know what your rights are. You know, whether yep. or not you decide yep. you're going to hire us or not, that's a choice. It's a free consultation, and you want to understand what your, all your rights are and what coverages you have. And plus the fact, I hang out with you, so you got to be a good guy <laughs> if I'm hanging out with you. Uh, maybe. <laughs> uh, okay. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. Back in the saddle again. We're back in the saddle again. Okay, Gene Autry, what's that all about? Well, after our normal break, Coon Rapids Nissan and Walzer Nissan are back on the air with 10 months of terrible commercials. Ever think of hiring a copywriter? That's pretty good. Hey, we're selling cars, not carpets. Anyways, too expensive. Check out our new press release. This just in, Burnsville Nissan and Coon Rapids Nissan have started out 2022 as the number one and number two dealers in the state of Minnesota. Jason Leckler has been quoted as saying, this is the year I bump off Dan Resch. He studied animal husbandry for crying out loud. Dan replied with, blow it, J-Lo. What do you think? Mm, Maybe you should hire a copywriter. Cool that they're leading the sales race, though. That's good. Yeah, it's actually more than good. Because they were so dominant last year, we've earned more than our fair share of new Nissans. We have 40 Altimas available for March and 120 Rogues. Check out the huge selection of Nissans at Burnsville Nissan and Coon Rapids Nissan. Hey folks, Brian Zepp here. Spring is gearing up, and if you're like me, you've already got the itch to hit the road. Make sure you and your motorcycle are ready with Dennis Kirk. Whatever you ride, Harley, Indian, Metric Cruiser, or Sport Bike, you'll find what you need at DennisKirk.com. They've got 160,000 parts and accessories in stock, clothing and helmets too. Order before 8 p.m. and they ship the same day. Plus, shipping is free for orders over 89 bucks. Get in gear and head to DennisKirk.com. Take it from Zep. They ship today. You all. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. A little news, a little information. So what's the latest? Anything good happening in the news? Because I couldn't find it. Let's see. Good happening in the news. They got some, is, is the... Um, is the Winter Carnival going on in St. Paul right now? Yeah, I was I supposed to go yesterday. on Saturday, and it didn't work hmm. out, and I'm sad because I was excited about it. Well, I tried to make a happy story. Thanks for bringing <clears throat> it down sorry, there, sorry. Alex. Sorry. So, dragging sorry. it right down, Alex. Don't worry about a thing. We do, have our, we do have our guest, Barry, on the line. Nice. 
Barry Minko, ladies and gentlemen, King of the Con, a three-part series that exposes Barry Minko as one of the most unbelievable con men to ever exist. King of the Con is streaming on Discovery Plus starting Friday, of course, a couple of weeks ago now. Well, 17 days ago now, actually. Uh, did we, we still have them? Yeah, I believe so. Oh, because I just heard a disconnect there. Yeah. Barry, how you doing? Is he there? No, he's really not good, Tom. I heard him drop off. <laughs> oh, okay. I'll try yeah, and get I heard him, him drop off. It's <laughs> yeah. beginning to feel deal. like a Monday. Mm-hmm. He right. conned you into saying that he was on the phone, <laughs> didn't he? Huh? Hey. This is one of we we had him on the morning show. We had Barry on the morning show, and uh, I discovered I was one of the people that actually watched his show. Oh, <laughs> okay. Get watching con man. Works he's back. I, you're, oh, is he here? No, I'm going to see if he'll oh. call back. Your interview with the guy from Arthur was really good today. The guy, oh God, he is such a good guy, isn't yeah. he? You know Arthur Alex, the uh, children's the, books. The children's books. Yeah, mm-hmm. I love oh. Arthur. We had Mark on the show today. He is such a nice man. He's the nicest guy. Is he the guy, guy that plays Arthur? No, he's the one he who wrote the guy it. That wrote the he's one who wrote it. Cool. And he told this story of when he met with Mr. Rogers. And oh Mr. Rogers oh. is like oh sitting God. on the couch and he walks in and, and tells him, I've been waiting for you. You know, like in the Mr. Rogers voice, <laughs> yeah. not in the, whatever yeah. that was. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whatever that was. Yeah, yeah your son has been waiting for you. And he escaped with his life. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yours was creepy there. I know. That's why I'm calling him. Okay, Ladies and gentlemen, Barry Minko with us. How you doing, Barry? Hello. Oh, Barry. I hear him. He dropped again. There we go. Oh, you are there. I need a little more volume from Barry, and that will get it done, no question about it. I talked to Barry, got, I guess, two, three weeks ago, something like that, on the morning show and had a nice conversation. Remember that? I am. I can't believe you called me back. It's like a you know a, a, a satisfied carpet cleaning customer calling and saying, "Come clean my sofa." What could be better than this? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, you still got it, Barry. You still got it. That's all I have to say. Barry Minko, M I N K O W, King of the Con, a three-part series that exposes Barry Minko as one of the most unbelievable con men to ever exist. King of the Con is streaming on Discovery Plus starting Friday, uh, a few weeks ago, a couple of well, two and a half weeks ago now. So, I love this. Barry Minko, the swindling con man himself. <laughs> Is that your new title, Barry? Uh, you know, somewhere in there there's a compliment, but keep going. You're doing okay so far. <laughs> Okay, so, so far we got the compliment. Barry is a former American businessman, pastor, convicted felon. While still in high school, he founded, is it 4Z or just ZZZZ? 4Z Best, right? Uh, no, no, it's Z-Best. It, yeah, yeah, it's just Z-Best, pronounced Z-Best. Oh, just Z-Best, okay. Okay. To appear to be an immensely successful yep, yep, carpet yep. cleaning and restoration company, however, is actually a front to attract investment for a massive Ponzi scheme. So now I need to stop talking. we got to hear the story right from you, Barry, because it's a great story. Well, yeah, and listen, it's a cautionary tale on the one hand, and on the other hand, it's a inspirational story for those of us, and this doesn't relate to you and, and maybe even many in your audience, but there's a percentage of people out there uh, that have struggled with addiction, been in and out of prison, violated positions of trust, and here's a good one, lie to get money. That was my big one um, mm-hmm. for years. And um, so I did 15 years in prison, so they don't have to, and my go- my goal of doing the uh, Discovery series, uh, the docu series, was just kind of to say, it, you know, listen, I betrayed God. I was a pastor. I had a double life going on. 
um, liar and a thief, went to jail uh, and deserved it and deserved it more than actually what I got. But uh, if I could come back from that, how much more can you? Um, you haven't done that kind of evil, and yet there is hope for me. So the, how much more is there hope for others who are struggling with addiction or uh, find themselves in bankruptcy or, or just, just in and out of prison and just feel like there's uh, you know, no, no hope? And I just wanted to give hope. On the other side... It's a tale of if you lie to get money and you place your feet on that path, uh, it has one ultimate just destination. It's only a matter of time. It's called federal prison. So I, I don't do it. And I did it twice. Some people are slow learners. And so on the one hand, cautionary tale on, and, and how we rationalize and, and justify our behavior when we're doing it. For example, while I was pastoring a church, hey, the church was growing. Uh, the, the budget was growing. Uh, and I was uncovering fraud. Look, 60 Minutes profiled me, and I was undercover for the FBI and a billion dollars in fraud. So they're not paying me, so I deserve to use information I get from the government and trade illegally on it. I deserve to commingle funds. As long as I pay it back and nobody gets hurt, everything's going to be okay. And you look in the newspaper last week and you see the Elizabeth Holmes story and you say, she, all she was doing was buying time until that mini-lab worked and then everybody would be okay everybody would get paid back so mm -hmm. all she did and you look at the evidence in that case it's just my case and and i'm not justifying it i'm just saying that's the rationale we who perpetrate fraud use so that we could sleep at night i'm kind of surprised mm -hmm. the way you described yourself you know uh lying for money and all the rest of it you never got into radio mm -hmm. anyway moving forward thank you very much barry yeah. when i was when listen, I, was... No, I had a great oh. listen i was I was in radio doing, like, a consumer <laughs> hotline show years ago on, on something called the Business New Net News Network. They had, like, no clears. Like, we were in Tipton, Georgia or something, but that was it. But it was a lot of fun. But that was when I, was, I first heard you. Remember I told you I listened to that? That's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. How, how much do you still... But, you, you know, in radio, you've got to, got to be smart, so... <laughs> no, you don't, actually. Go ahead, Michael. Sorry. Barry, how much do you still owe in restitution? So here's the deal. The government's great this way. Uh, Lenar has actually two judgments. So if you were to put them together, it's over a billion dollars, but it's for the same thing. So Lenar never accused me, to their credit, nor did the government, of running a Ponzi scheme. They just said, I hurt the market value of their stock, so the $560 million restitution order is not cash they gave me. They never claimed that. It was that my report that I submitted on Lenar caused their stock to drop a couple points. It recovered a couple days later, so it was market value loss. And it's about $3 million with the church, a little better, and a, a big chunk of that is IRS. So I have two restitution orders that I pay every month in addition to the IRS, in addition to the franchise tax board. Let me say this. The federal government and the United States Probation Office is tenacious in restitution yeah. on the federal side. So it's a, if you don't pay, you go back to prison, and for another couple months I'm still on probation. But uh, So I've been paying, and actually a little bit ahead on one of the restitution orders, but no, it's, it's something that we take very seriously, and I agree with them. Without restitution, there really isn't any you know, true repentance, and Lenar didn't lose the cash, so they're not tripping. Uh, the church thing is the one I'm really focusing on, and even after I'm off probation, we'll continue to pay uh, monthly payments. But, you know, you got to remember, you have some guys that say, I did my time, I'm not paying them nothing. That's not me. But I've met a lot of people in prison say, hey, I did eight Super Bowls in prison, 
uh, that, that's all they're getting from me. I'm not giving them nothing. They can't be put, put me back in the jail for not to man. So that's not the attitude I have. I realize that any financial crime must be accompanied by restitution, and I agree with the probation office and the government in that regard that white-collar victims need to be paid back to the extent that that's possible. What do you think of that, Michael? Interesting. Yeah, I was reading about that, that you had that. So so if that's part of your probation and your probation's getting close, do you have, is there a plan on how they're going to deal with that? We're in court right now doing exactly that. Yeah. We, are, okay. we are proactive in that. We're going to continue restitution. restitution. Here's the thing. The way I look at it, it's, it's, um, it's a material amount of money every month. It's the right thing to do. sets a good example. So I have four different people I pay every month, state franchise tax board, and that's for past taxes, not current, IRS past taxes, Lennar, you know, crime that I served time for, the church that I served time for. So we're going to continue, even after probation, to make these payments every single month. And by the way, that's exactly what I did in the ZBEST case. I was paying Union Bank for 20 straight years. Remember, I was out 16 wow. years. Every month I paid you. Every month I paid Union Bank, and I was not on uh, probation. So they were the last remaining victim of the ZBEST crime. So uh, restitution's important. It's got to be done. And uh, I, I, I really believe that the the victim is entitled to at least your best efforts in that regard. What do you think of that, Michael? Yeah, well, sounds good. Michael, here's the, here's the other thing. <laughs> Michael, the government doesn't want to make a disincentive for you to earn money. They oh, want sure. you to do real well. Oh, absolutely. And then, you can, and then you can pay more restitution. So mm-hmm. they, don't, they want to give you an incentive to earn. They're not going to take everything. They're going to be fair, but they also want to make sure you're making uh, a material reduction. So even in any endeavor I do... The government or the restitution is a part of that. <laughs> they become equal goes partners. That. So uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah, that makes total sense. That's always been a question you've had, Tom. Because, I mean, we've run into some shady characters in our no, time. Oh, not me. <laughs> and um, your, your big question was always, they put so much, people put so much effort into defrauding people and lying. And if they just did it, the straight way, so oh, to speak, um, they would have made probably yeah, even let's, more let's, money and not yeah. have burned bridges yep. and maybe gone to jail and get sued and everything else that happens. Yeah, but there's no rush in that. Let me tell you how right you are. I'm in the L.A. federal courthouse. It was after the Z-Best case, and the IRS agent, criminal IRS agent, Paul Davis, came to me and said, Barry, you created 22,000 fraudulent documents to fool the auditors and promulgate the ZBEST fraud. If only you had taken that time, energy, and effort and put it into the legitimate business, who knows what you could have done. You are so right, and that's one of the things I try to get across to people, that the mental energy, time, manipulation, and effort that it takes to lie to get money, you cannot lie to get money and do it legit and, and sleep at night and never look over your shoulder. It's an outstanding point you yeah. just made. Well, thank you for that. But um, is it because it's a rush? Is it because you think you're smarter than everybody else? What's the the psychological motivation? Well, 
Okay, so, uh. so every, I was in prison for what? What was it, 15 years almost, and everybody I ever met in prison, we all had one thing in common. None of us ever planned on being there when we started. <laughs> our yeah. companies got our CPA license, got our law license, look at Avenatti. Mm -hmm. Nobody ever planned right. on ending up in prison. It's not the rush. It's necessity. It's handling economic pressure wrong, okay. justifying it by saying everybody else does it, Nobody's going to get hurt. If I pay it back, it's okay. How many people do you think that run small businesses that my heart breaks for that had them shut down by no choice of their own that are filling out SBA loan applications lying and justifying and saying, well, I didn't shut me down. They did. I'm not saying that's right. Yeah. I'm saying the rationalization and justification to handle economic pressure wrongly is what leads to crime. It's not the rush. You don't want that kind of rush. You don't want to worry about every phone call could be that call saying, we know what you're doing. We've been keeping everybody quiet, trying to control outcomes. No life. It ages you quickly. And it's always by handling economic pressure in a wrong manner. That's what got me twice. So were you, do, during the time period when this was going on, were you, like, filled with stress? Or how was it for you yeah. during the time yeah, period? Yeah, 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 I was. Let, let, that was a, a great question. Uh, let me answer it by revealing my medical records to you. I was on OxyContin and Vicodin probably 10 straight years. Wow. And my art, that's the, in the residential drug treatment program in prison that my judge referred me to, and you have to have a medical documentation while you were out that you were addicted. And I went to rehab secretly twice without even my congregation or church knowing it. I was so addicted. But 325 milligrams of OxyContin a day just to appease oh. a conscience that was guilt-ridden with living a double life. Now, today I'd be dead. Today I'd be dead because of fentanyl. But back then, you're talking 06, 07, 08, 09, Oxy was not, you know, laced with fentanyl. And, 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 uh, but but the, the kind of drugs I was taking to appease my conscience, quiet my mind down so I could sleep when I had the movie going, I had, uh, you know, the insider trading going, I had an affair, I had a double life, I was preaching... It was a complete cognitive dissonance disaster. What did you think you were, a Catholic priest? Thank you very much. I grew up Catholic. I thought I'd throw that in there. <laughs> wow. But uh, to your point, I've never understood, and I, I have actually asked people who've stolen money from me, you realize that if you had stayed with me the way this turned out, you would have made a lot more money than you stole? And they just look at me like, well, well that, yeah. that wasn't even an option. Yeah. It wasn't even an option for them. It's the thrill of the hunt, I guess. Yeah. Is that part and, of it? And I, and I think, you know, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, people. I think that's a great point you just made because we don't, we don't exercise our options and think clearly trying to meet payroll, waiting, you know, not knowing where the next dollar is going to come from. We turn into desperation survival mode. And then every option is on the table, including the wrong ones. So, right. yeah, you're, you're exactly right. I, um, it's not just that. It's when you do something evil, wrong, duplicitous, and lie to get money, one lie leads to another, to another, yeah. and then you can't have yeah. this guy talk to this guy because you owe that guy money and he doesn't know it, and he, you owe him money. You know, it's crazy. And, and then you hope the board doesn't get the bank statement showing the credit card debt or the loan that you've got that nobody knows about. It's a horrible life to live. The reason I did the docu-series is to prevent everyone or anyone from ever having to go through it by making unwise choices when economic pressure rears its ugly head.
Yeah, that makes total sense. Do you remember the very first time you got money and you went, my, that was easy? Was there was there one time that inspired the whole thing? So, you, you had to ask that, didn't you? The mobster, <laughs> there was a mobster, I'll just, say his, I'll, just say his, I'll just say his first name. He just got out of prison in, I think, 18, and he was the head of the Boston mob. He gave me a brown paper bag with $25,000 cash on Lindley and Sherman Way in 1985. And he says, Barry, you pay the juice. The juice is $1.50 a week. You keep it as long as you want, but never be late on the juice. Now, listen, I'm 17 years old. I don't know what juice is. I later found out it means interest. But I had my hands on $25,000 cash, and I was 17 years old thinking, how many, and this is 1983, how many 17-year-olds have a company and $25,000 cash? Who cares I got it from the mob? Who cares that I had to sell my soul to get it? I was going to succeed in a how didn't matter. Well, that's probably why, what a lot of drug dealers do, think Yeah, when they're getting into it at 13 and 14. Probably. Yeah. So, Barry, I have to ask you, was that just the first name? Was that guy's first name Kevin? No, Carmen, though. Oh, it was, because I know a Kevin from Boston that got out of prison just a couple of years ago in the same situation. Yeah, no, 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 this is a, yeah. And listen, the Statue of Limitations have run out. Uh, No mobster ever went to prison because of me. That was, by the way, you know Francis, his dad, Sonny Francis. Francis saved my life in in 1980. Yeah, I was in prison. 88, I'm in Terminal Island. The mob thinks I'm going to tell on him. And Francis gets thrown in the stew. With, and, and, and he sent the word out that, no, Barry's going to trial. Don't worry about it. So he actually saved my life in Terminal Island in maximum security back in 1988 by letting everybody know he's going to go to trial. Don't worry. He's not telling on anybody. It's true. Very quick story, Barry. The guy I'm talking about is Kevin Weeks. Of course, mm-hmm. worked with, uh, with uh, our buddy. Yeah, so Kevin uh, Kevin gets out, and we have him on the podcast. I said, Kevin, you probably don't remember meeting me, but I met you many, many years ago. I was at a party in New York, and you came down from Boston, New York. You were at the party, and we were talking, and blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden, I saw you on TV one day, and that's what I found out, uh, what business, how I found out what business you were in. And there was a long pause, and he said the following, Barry. You ready for this? You probably heard this before. There was a long pause, and Kevin Weeks, who had killed 25 or 6 people, uh, he says to me, you don't owe me money, do you? <laughs> I said, no, no, I no, I do not. No, I do not owe you money. <laughs> Did you have to think for a minute? Barry's laughing. Thanks, Barry. You're laughing at my fright. I appreciate it. <laughs> I think it's a great. I think it's a great story. And then you look back and you think, "Listen, that was the first thing I thought. Did I pay that loan back? I always have nightmares. Yeah, I paid that back. I'm good. I'm good." <laughs> exactly. That's exactly it. We do have to take a break. Do you have another uh, ten, fifteen minutes in you? Sure, sure. For you guys, anything you know that. We'll be right back. More with Barry Minko right after this with the family. The 2022 Bloomington Boat Show is here and going on now. Get out of the cold and into a 25,000-square-foot heated showroom at Dan Southside Marine. A huge inventory of boats means the best deals of the year. Over 60 boats on display from Premier, Avalon, Berkshire, Alumacraft, and more. Explore what's new for 2022 at the Bloomington Boat Show at Dan Southside Marine. Six blocks west of 35W on 98th Street in Bloomington. Visit bloomingtonboatshow.com. 
Tom Bernard talking with Brad Huckle and Michael Bilski of North American Banking Company. We've talked a few times over the years about how North American Banking Company has helped local businesses when they're ready for expansion. We love talking about the success of our customers. One example is suburban manufacturing in Monticello. They create innovative products that produce clean, dry air that is needed during the manufacturing process. We recently helped them expand their business. Moving into a new building gave them the space they needed to add new equipment and production lines. We were able to step in quickly and provide the financing they needed when they needed it. When we help businesses like suburban manufacturing with their expansion, it's beneficial for our customers, but their growth also creates new jobs in our community. So they make stuff that produces clean, dry air for manufacturing after working with Bilski. Do they breathe easier with their business belt? We certainly hope so, Tommy. And that's no hot air. Nice one. Why not bank with my banker? North American Banking Company, a better banking experience, member FDIC, and equal housing lender. You all have helped build MyPillow into the incredible company it is today and have trusted in Mike Lindell to give you a great night's sleep. Mike's latest incredible deal is on the Giza Dream Sheets, which you've heard me rave about before, that's for sure. These sheets are made from the world's best cotton, Giza. They are ultra soft and breathable, yet extremely durable. Right now, the Giza Dream Sheets at its lowest price ever. These sheets are 60% off, coming in as low as $39.99 with promo code TOM. Oh, we don't have other spots there? No, because I'm going to isolate it. So, and then... Oh, okay. All right. So we are back. What song is this? It's called Blue Angel. Oh, Blue Angel. Barry Minko, our special guest, ladies and gentlemen. We're just trying to talk about staying out of prison or not getting killed by the mafia and on the East Coast or, you know, all the good things in your life. Right. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty amazing. It's a pretty amazing life. There's no question about that. There, you know, isn't that frightening though? When you realize the person that you're kind of messing with, or whether you're just meeting them, messing with them, joking around, and you find out they're they're a member of the mafia, it gets very uncomfortable. The alleged mafia, but yeah. Was, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> were there people that yeah. you felt like? I'll, you, tell you, no, no, oh. I'll tell you where it really got. I'll tell you what it really got uncomfortable was. One time, there's a restaurant, I'll say this with the names and everything, it was called Amici's Restaurant in 1985-86. It was big in L.A., and they're still around. And the owner, Nick Amici, I went to dinner there and told him kind of what we were doing, you know, taking Z-Best public, whatever. Four hours later, in the middle, almost in the middle of the night, this had never happened, uh, two of the mobsters that I did business with, one who was always a great guy, his name was Richie Shulman, he was, he was a concierge for the five families, he was certainly a high-ranking guy, and he was always nice. I got in the back of a limo. He said, did you go to dinner tonight at Nicomiti's? And he pulled out a napkin, and he said, this is our deal. He wrote it out for me. I will kill you if you ever open your mouth about our business again. And, and, and I was what? I was 18 or 19 at, 19 at the time and about to go public on Wall Street. And that was the time where everybody was always nice. I was a big earner. I was the goose that laid the golden egg. Everybody loved the whiz kid, the boy wonder. Right. Until I opened my mouth to a guy who I thought was our friend, told him some details because we had always gone to that restaurant, and then I almost got killed for it, and never did I speak again. Wow. Oh, God. That must have been terrifying. That was. That was. And, And by the way, but here's the thing. You need to know this. I went in voluntarily. I'm no innocent or babe in the woods. 
I went into these relationships knowing that it could cost me my life, but it's just somebody, I think somebody on the show just mentioned, you know, kind of like the drug when kids are 13, 14, they go in the gang life, they know right. they could die, but money's more important. You know, I, I, I could never judge them for that. I have empathy for that kind of thinking. It's wrong, but I did it too, just in a different way and a whole lot earlier in the 80s. So it's the same mentality that uh, success at any price, and it's so very, very sad. And, and, and you're right, it is, it is prevalent, prevalent today. But for me, I was no innocent dupe, and, and uh, it, much to my shame, and, and was voluntarily in these relationships. Were there people along the way that, that supported you or believed in you that you look back and you feel like you totally betrayed them? I'm going to tell you, another, you know, these are, this is probably the three best questions I've had. Uh, absolutely. I'm going to tell you who he is. His name is, he's 93 years old. His name is Dr. Gene French. He was the guy at the church in 97 that hired me. He was the founding pastor. I was the second pastor. Do you know this man? When I was in Lexington, Kentucky, facing another 10 years, I was his hire. So even though I made it 14 years and the church grew, obviously I failed miserably, went to prison, commingling funds, insider trading, drug addiction, affair, uh, brought reproach on the name of Christ. Uh, the, his, you know, they replaced me, and the church is doing fine today. But he reached out to me in Lexington, Kentucky, forgave me. When I came to San Diego to get sentenced, he insisted on seeing me, uh, you know, just kept bothering the chaplain there at, at MCC San Diego, and they refused to let him come see me because he was connected with the, quote, victims, the, the church. He forgave me, and then after I got sentenced, he helped me write apology letters to everybody. I said, I already did that. He goes, they think you did it to get out of prison. Now that you're sentenced, we're going to track down every address of every victim and write them that you're sorry for what you did. And he, this guy is, and I just talked to him yesterday. He's 93 years old. He believed in me always. He still believes in me. I feel like I completely failed him. Yes, I failed my boys, my twin boys. Yes, I failed Lisa. Yes, I failed my church. Uh, but this particular man, the founding pastor of the church, uh, stands tall because he forgave me. And i got to tell you something. I have learned in my years, forgiveness doesn't change the world. Forgivers change the world. And I'm so grateful for uh, for Friend for giving me, as well as my wife and kids. But this was particularly meaningful because um, he could have gone the other way. And uh, it was just it's just amazing what he did, and I'm, I'm forever grateful. And I so let him down. Mm. Yeah, I, and how do you, do you have nights when you wake up in the middle of the night and you feel this deep, deep regret? Can you get rid of that, or is it going to be with you, you think, for the rest of your life? Well, here's what, here's what I want to tell, here's what I want to tell uh, people who are listening who have failed materially. You need to know this. Uh, what, here's the good news about the Barry Minko story. They got the right guy. So it isn't like he looted a Macy's, burnt down a police precinct, and then got off, or got out the next day for bail after murder. In both instances, remember the financial crisis of 2008, you can count on one hand how many went to jail. So a lot of times, people perpetrate material fraud and do crime. They never get punished. Not so with me. So knowing that I did two stints in prison, and, and listen, the first bit, I did more time than Milken, Boski, Leona Helmsley combined. The second bit, I did, I did the same amount of time. So listen, it's very important that you know this. When you've done your time, that is significant. The government got up in my sentencing and said the government is satisfied 
with the 10-year cumulative sentence of Barry Minko in the Lenar and the Church Manor. If they're satisfied, and if you can find forgiveness uh, in, in, in my worldview as a Christian, Christian worldview, and, and so I'm grateful for that. But I think, number one, there's always going to be people that don't like you or don't forgive you. You can't focus right. on those people. I focus on those people that, that I want to help, not follow, follow my footsteps, and those who are hurting, who need a help up and need hope. So I'm just really hyper-focused on, on that particular uh, group of people. So you can't, you listen, there's going to be haters, especially if you fail. Even if you didn't fail, there'd be haters. But how much more when you failed like I did? But I am shocked at how much forgiveness that, that I've received and so grateful for it from former church members, business associates. I have great jobs, family. I am just grateful and blessed. And uh, uh, so uh, no complaints. But And I don't let the haters detract. And I never, listen, you'll, when you watch that docuseries, you'll never hear Barry Minko say a negative thing about anyone. And I never, ever criticize anyone. Hmm. So, you know, it's kind of like C.S. Lewis. He, he never uh, responded to his critics, and he never criticized anyone. When you fail, that's got to be your mindset. You've got to take it. Life, it's, it's, it, you've got to be able to absorb the punch and the body blows that victims throw knowing you deserve it and, and, and just and, and taking it and saying, I understand you're frustrated. That's why I did all that time. I'm trying to make restitution. I wish you nothing but the best, and I'm not trying to convince you otherwise, but I've got to keep it moving and help these people that I've been called to help. There it is, they ladies and gentlemen, King of the, King of the Con, a three-part series that exposes Barry Minko as one of the most unbelievable comments to ever exist. King of the Con, streaming on Discovery Plus, which, by the way, is a great channel anyway. I love Discovery Plus. Great outfit. Great outfit. Oop, Barry gone. All right, excellent. I am. Oh, you are. Okay. Barry, thank you very much. I appreciate your time today. Nice talking to you again, sir. And hopefully uh, people will learn, don't follow that path. That would be great. great. Love you. And love you guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Barry Minko, ladies and gentlemen. M-I-N-K-O-W again on Discovery Plus. Uh, It's on Fridays. And uh, we're in uh, episode, I believe, four coming up on Friday. Just after Alex's birthday. Oh. Ground dog day and birthday coming up on. Oh, that's right. You'll be what? I'm just kidding. No, no. I'm like, what? <laughs> so you've aged very well for a white say, person. I know I look great. I know I look great. Age <laughs> very well for a white person. That's what he goes with. Age very well for a white it's person. It's all my Botox for my migraines. Yeah, right. <laughs> that I get. Just kidding. I'll be 33. I still can't believe my baby girl's 33 and my baby boy's 35. What the hell is that? Mm-hmm. Andy's never been a baby boy in his life. And I remember when, you when Andy baby was a baby, boy. he was still an old Jewish man. <laughs> Born with a receding Always hairline been an old Jewish baby. Not yeah. just an old man, an old hey, Jewish man. My oldest man. boy is Larry David. I'm not kidding. Yeah. <laughs> and he makes me oh, laugh all the time. No, you're right. Uh, don't think he's not Larry you. David, but... Uh. Well, now back in the day, back in the day when we lived in Golden Valley, Andy, uh, on his bedroom door, 
had a shalom sign. <laughs> I bought shalom. that for him. I think you he did. still has that somewhere. Does yeah. he really? I bought it yeah, from he, he didn't even nations. protest. We put it up as a joke. And we're like, <laughs> we bought something thinking we're so funny. And we show and it to him like, and he just, he kind of gets that weird little half grin and gets, he's like, yeah, I see it. Like, that, I check, see that checks it. out. Right. That checks out. <laughs> it fits. Hilarious. Yeah, I bought uh, that for him at Festival of Nations. <laughs> oh. Is that the thing that's over in like the... Excellent. I remember going... I remember going there as like a field trip in mm-hmm. school and Italian. like in the Italian booth mm-hmm. where you get yeah. authentic Italian pizza. I peeked my head around the corner and there was a stack of like Domino's boxes mm-hmm. up to the ceiling. <laughs> Are you <laughs> saying that Domino's been... isn't authentic I've Italian never pizza? Been more disappointed. <laughs> it used to be yeah. in Roy Wilkins. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, the, the oh, really? I played, oh, yeah. I played a chess master. You know where the, you yeah. sit around a table mm-hmm. and they zip around? Mm-hmm. And the guy's going around. He stopped and stared at my board for like two seconds. Hey. So I actually, hey. I actually hey. slowed him down. <laughs> <laughs> I did something that made him go, I don't know what the hell this guy. What, what? is happening <laughs> here? This is his first game. And then he crushed me like everyone else. Well, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, that'll happen. Mm-hmm. No, what does this mean? I just read the headline. Omicron amps up concerns about long COVID and causes. What, what is this now? Do we need to have mm-hmm. a disclaimer? That we I have was a, to say, is COVID, Joe Rogan a co- yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. Oh my God! Did we you hear that we talk about that? Joni what? Mitchell's <laughs> involved in it now. Oh yeah. In, oh, uh, lots of artists mean? are to, are are in are into it now. Which it's like, well, what does this mean for podcasting? If uh, if you right. talk to somebody that right. the glitterati doesn't like. Well, okay. Are, I think is that a little it? bit more I don't than know that, if I call though. Neil. I, I think he, he's made Johnny himself Mitchell. kind of a focal point, and, yeah. you know, and yeah. he's got a response. And that's the that's the market. That's mm-hmm. what everybody wants for free market until they don't want it because yeah. it's okay. something that they like. Well, in his, well, see, okay. this is what's interesting. People went to podcasting because mm-hmm. they were tired of trying to sift through what is a real thing in mainstream media. So freedom of speech and co- and comedians and and all kinds of artists and things were going to podcasting so they could say what they wanted to, and not have to be censored or whatever. And now it's like, okay, wait, now you're being censored again. What does this mean for podcasting? Does that mean that if you don't, are there going to be acceptable things that you get to talk well, about? And and if you do talk about it, you have to talk about it in one way. Mom, you have to realize that it's not. Spotify is not like he's spreading false information. It's two old singers. Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, it's it's not. So it's, n- they, but I mean, whoever it, it's a bunch of random people essentially that have an opinion, and they're like, I don't want my music on Spotify if he's on Spotify, and so they're like, bye. Right. Hey, Meghan Markle wants he, off of Spotify, but they don't want to give the money back. Well, that's not how it works. <laughs> well, yeah. that's not, I love that. I hate to break that, it to a I mean, so it's, it's more than just a couple of old, uh, you know, know that Meghan Markle hippie rock and rollers on. that used to sing right. about freedom. I yeah, mm-hmm. I know. The, when I saw Joni Mitchell, I was like, Joni Mitchell. Yeah, really? Right? Mm-hmm. Like, what? I don't know. And I, Spotify's like, with them, I, is like, see ya, because he right. earns them oh, way absolutely. more money. Absolutely. Like, Joni Mitchell oh, earns Spotify, like, Pocket change. I couldn't point to, out yeah. Joni Mitchell if she was sitting at the end of the table. No, no, I yeah. wouldn't either. <clears throat> well, now I, have a I don't know. <laughs> but I do have a question for him. That that same thing. He had both pro and con vaccine people on. Well, if you mm-hmm. offer both opinions, that's bad. Well, and that's I don't, I don't get it. Think that's the issue, though. The, the what issue? is the issue? He's become. 
he's become a, a focal point for a certain position. He's been the focal point of taking horse pills or right. horse he has a he lot took of ivermectin. And there's people who disagree with it, and that's yeah. their choice to do what they want with their money and their time. That's and it's just the way it works yeah. economically. He is, he is, yeah, he is very influential person, obviously, and so that's when he starts talking about experimental health things. You don't want a run of people taking yeah, yeah. snow. No, and so it's like, the, I think at most, Spotify just has to put like a... Hey, this not everything in here is fact checked in that this that the yeah other they thing. already Just put so that they cover up, their actually. own ass mm-hmm. yeah yeah yep, they already put that up well I, who in their right mind would think that Joe Rogan was a health expert like, he was people, speaking to a health expert and asking him questions like he right he used that's, to watch people eat like you know. horse testicles on Fear Factor mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. that's right yeah yes. well he also sports a lot of like nutritional supplements mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff so people do look to Joe Rogan for medical advice for fitness for because like mm-hmm. uh, he likes to lift weights. Right. But, <laughs> and he's not even like, he doesn't look like a very fit person. Like he's not like he's some like whatever, You're right. over he's, the top kind of model yeah. of yeah. Well, of he's like five fitness. five. Right. He's not That's, even that yeah. tall. But um, yeah, I mean, so I, I'm assuming if he's t- telling people on his podcast medical advice, especially with COVID, that can be a dangerous thing because mm-hmm. people have to realize when you have that huge of a following, you have a responsibility. Yeah. Okay. Well, and what I, from uh, he wasn't. He was yeah, just I'm, interviewing that mm-hmm. Dr. Malone. Mm-hmm. He just was interviewing him and he was asking questions. Yeah, Dr. Yeah. Malone. He wasn't the, saying Dr. Malone is right. You can only listen to Dr. Malone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, that's the I thing. Mean, that's it's a th- confusing. It's a three-hour interview, so of course you can lift. One sentence or two sentences mm-hmm. to back up any sort of claim yeah, like about ev- what he said. Every person we've ever had on this podcast, have we agreed with them? No. no. Mm-hmm. And it's like, especially I'm like, Michael Bryan. I wa- Absolutely. <laughs> That's why I come on. Most of the time. <laughs> That's why I come on. I'm, I'm wondering what it is. Is there, are there quotes that people are like, he said this and this is dangerous? Like, what is it exactly? Because I'm just hearing mm-hmm. that he's spreading misinformation. Right. And it's like, but what is it? Yeah. What did he well, say? That's it's the scary all on, thing. It's recorded. It's on there. Right. And I wonder if he like pissed somebody off, like off air, did yeah, something, and I now he's his, whatever. Like his response. His odd. response was that I will do my best to make sure I research these topics, try harder to get people with different opinions on my show, which reached an estimated twelve million. So, uh, his response was that I'm going to do more research and I'm going to try to get another side. So, right. I would suggest that he at least recognizes, yeah. and he has become a focal point for the use of. I, I think it's the horse medicine or whatever. Ivermectin, which stuff. actually yeah, that's it. wasn't, isn't just a horse medicine. Well, I know, but that's easy a way to describe right. it. And, you know. <laughs> it, makes, it makes him sound bad if you say horse medicine. Right. No, I, it might work if it's a miracle cure and it gets rid of this, that would be awesome. Yeah. But I don't um, think it does. But I don't know. I'm not a freaking doctor. Well, I mean, like you know? when I had COVID, I did a whole bunch of hippy dippy shit to mm-hmm. get rid of it that I'm like, if someone wants to know what I did, here you go. I'll tell you. But mm-hmm. I'm not saying, like, everybody should do this. Because mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't know. Maybe it wouldn't. I don't know. Right. I don't know. And he, so he reaches more people than all of the major news networks. Like, oh, his listenership oh, is, yeah, he's like. He's the gold standard of pod. No offense, yeah. Tom. But he's, like, <laughs> the gold standard He doesn't of have Tevin on. How could he be that? Yeah, that is true. That is true. Racist, mm-hmm. Joe? That thing of a deal. Yeah, listen to that. Yeah. He's having black people on. He's a racist. Oh, no, he has, ton, no, he he has he tons does. of he has black, a ton of black people on. He does. I know he yeah. does. I just thought I'd throw he it He never up. had that. I don't, don't want to spread, well, I don't spread any misinformation <laughs> about Joe Rogan. <laughs> <Rogers. laughs> 
And the thing is, he has he has controversial people on his podcast. Mm-hmm. Like he just had, I think, a four hour episode of a Google whistleblower mm-hmm. about how they're like, if you have a Google phone, it's always listening to you. Of course, one hundred percent of the time, even if you turn it off, it's still listening to you. Hey Tom, how you doing? Yeah, they're like the moment that you turn, if you take your SIM card out, it's still listening to you, oh, and all this stuff. And so, yeah, he's like, if you have it's it Android, is that yeah, what Android Google is? Yeah, yeah. Google. they're like you. No matter what, it is still the only thing that you can do is absolutely destroy it, and that's and well, still listening. It's still somehow this, listening. To this you. morning, Dave started watching this documentary called The Social Dilemma, and it yeah. talks mm-hmm. exactly oh, about that. So about I'm going to go that, back yeah. and watch the whole thing. It's but, an yeah. interesting. Yeah. Yeah, just to see like all these algorithms and how they'll they make you addicted to your phone. Oh, 100%. It's weird. Yeah, it's wild. Ugh. But anyway, so he has controversial people on his podcast. Like Joe Malone was like one of the guys that made the mRNA vaccine. And then now he's like, mm, it's not great. Like, it's I don't love it. Like, don't give it to your kids, all this stuff. Right. But he's right. being controversial because everybody's hoping that it's going to save us all. And he's like, don't give this to your children. But it's like, shouldn't we maybe listen to him because he helped make it? No? Okay. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It's just like weird that people are so against him, who is obviously an expert on the topic, mm-hmm. right? And they're mad about him not liking it, right? And well, like, and just, I think it's also like a grand scheme of like people just aren't open-minded to just yeah. taking in information and yeah. then just leaving it at that. Like, yes. okay, here's what they're saying, and now let's try to formulate an opinion. It's like let's, you're you calling be, me a bad right, parent be because I gave my side. child the COVID vaccine, right. and if they get cancer, it's my fault. I hate Joe Rogan. It's well, like what? Eleven million people <laughs> listening to him, so. But, you know, he, yeah, he'll like be fine. Yeah, like, people are going right. to get mad. Oh, yeah, he's yeah. Not, he's not gonna, gonna, right. yeah. You can't make everybody happy. Nope. Well, and why is it okay sure. for someone like Howard Stern to say that, you know, people that are unvaccinated should all die? No, but should it's not shot. okay. Should there be are shot. people attacking <clears throat> well, well, Nobody throws a huge fit and says, I'm going to go off <clears throat> of whatever. What is he on? He, you don't. You don't I see the, the people fact that, that you're taking it. Is why, yeah, nobody is like But there are people throwing huge fits about him. Well, I mean, that was are? a big issue. Well, I think what he said was is that if you're unvaccinated and you contract COVID, you should not be treated at a hospital. Yep. That's basically I have a relative that thinks like, that. Yeah. Or you have to pay out of pocket. Yep. Why? Um, well, the issue is, is is the number of beds. And if there's an actual issue where okay. someone gets a bed, I'm, I'm not saying that it's yeah, the yeah, right, right way. I know. But and like, and when personally, I want people to get helped. Mm-hmm. But there's an idea that comes along that says these people can't get surgery or I have a person who's in a car collision and they can't get in the emergency room in St. Cloud because it's filled with unvaccinated people laying in these in yeah. these beds. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a question. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know, they're but still the, human but and they deserve to be agree. Yeah. Yeah. And at the same time, it's like, okay, so anybody that smokes shouldn't be treated. That's right. Anybody right. that's obese yeah. shouldn't be treated. Right. Anybody yeah. well, that's suicidal shouldn't if, be treated. If the hospitals fill up with everybody who doesn't smoke or smokes, or if the hospitals fill up with everybody who's fat all at once, yeah. then that might come up as an issue. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you've and got this giant increase. The problem is, where do you draw the line? hospital guy to talk to about the numbers. You know, you can bring them in and they'll tell you exactly what the numbers are and they're the real numbers they're not making it up and they're not people that are you know have a certain agenda that are coming in because most part i used to disagree with them mostly but you know they're indicating the numbers in st cloud are mostly unvaccinated people that are all taking up the beds that's the issue yeah but i have also heard that up to this is from 
a government official that mm-hmm. up to 65 percent of the people that are in the hospital don't really have covid they just say they well do. bring the guy on and ask him that yeah and he'll yeah. tell it you is, what these people it are. is interesting though because like i don't i mean and i don't know how much of this there actually is but i have a friend whose husband just went to the hospital with cellulitis okay and he had covid 24 days ago they tested him he's still positive he's one of those people that it just still is in oh, the yeah. system whatever yep. <clears throat> although he's not contagious anymore and he's has not had any symptoms in a long time <clears throat> but he's he was unvaccinated had covid it was not a big deal for him and now he's in the hospital with cellulitis but now he was qualified as somebody who was hospitalized unvaccinated with covid right even though he wasn't at <clears throat> so hospital get for up. covid yeah it's like how does this make any bring, sense bring the guy on who does that and ask yeah. him. That's... Well, and like his doctor was like, oh, you have a fever? It probably is because of your COVID. And he was like, no, I have a fever because I have a raging infection. It's like, yeah. <laughs> what? I don't know. It's just weird how some places, and again, I don't know how much of this there is. I'm not saying that it's like hospitals are filled with fake COVID. Like, that's not mm-hmm. what I think. But it is, it's weird that I now personally know somebody that's like, oh, he's an unvaccinated COVID person that was in hospitalized for COVID, even though he wasn't well he was there for cellulitis i just recently had an er visit due to um i have my autoimmune issues and a lot of people that i saw that were coming in there they were coming in for covid but their symptoms were so mild but people think they need to go to the right, er because if i'm they gonna have die COVID. Yeah. and it's like no there's nothing they can really do for you mm-hmm. unless you need a ventilator or mm-hmm. oxygen yeah, steroids mm-hmm. or just, something like and i Every like person around me, that, and I didn't even get a bed. I got a recliner. That's yeah. what I got. Ooh, and, recliner! <laughs> right? I love a recliner. And uh, um, but yeah, they were just like, oh, just you know, rest, blah blah blah, do all these things. So it's like that is also taking up a lot of time in ERs mm-hmm. too for mm-hmm. people that are going there because they have COVID, yep. thinking that's what they have to do. That's the same thing yeah, that I, he said too. He was like, I just I was in the I was treated in the waiting room the entire time, or like they'd take him back, run a test send it back to the waiting room and he's like that's what they were doing with everybody and everybody in there had i mean most people were in there because of covid and he's like they mm. barely seemed sick right yeah. but they all were like we have yeah. to be at the hospital I know. if it's your like... symptoms are like lo- low enough where <laughs> yeah. you can be treated from the waiting room like, but yeah like <laughs> don't go don't go well i i know two women that got covid and they were pretty they were pretty darn sick mm-hmm. and yeah. they said both of them said i went to the doctor because I had myself so freaked out. Because mm-hmm. I really did feel terrible. And about day five, I was like, oh, my God, I, I, this is going to kill me. I just know it's going to kill me. And so they, they went to the doctor, and uh, one of them received um, electrolytes or something. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the other one was like, there's nothing we can do for you. You need to just go home. <laughs> Let yes. This, yeah. You're not. Like it's a virus. Yeah. yeah so, and WebMD both of them and... afterwards, oh, they both said, oh, if I hadn't gotten myself so freaked out about it. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, but the thing with COVID, it's like, yes, if you're told for two years, almost right. every single day and everything that you hear about it mostly is how dangerous we and horrible We literally had a COVID death is. counter on Yeah. Like everybody every was just staring yeah. at how many people it was killing. And right. it's like, you know. When you're told this for two straight years constantly, yeah, you're going to be freaked out. I mean, even when I got it, at first I was like, oh, my gosh, I have COVID. This even though I, it. Even though I literally tried to give myself COVID. Like, I found out the stage had it, and I was like, drink out of my water bottle, give me a big smooch, like, let's get this over with. Yeah. But then, like, the first, the, like, I, you know, finally realized I had it, and then I was like, oh, my God. 
I have COVID. And then it was like, okay, calm down. It's just yeah. because of all mm-hmm. of the well, being told how horrible it is. And I know, then it right? wasn't horrible at all. Right now I had two kids <laughs> down with COVID. Yeah. Um, one of them had symptoms, you know, like a bad head cold wasn't mm-hmm. terrible. My other son, though, he was asymptomatic and he's still testing positive. Because mm-hmm. so, you can test positive for, yep. I mean, this guy, Long he had it 25 yeah. days ago yep. and he still is testing positive. Yeah. And so they're like, I... <laughs> I spoke to somebody and they were like, don't, don't test. When we got our tests, mm-hmm. they were like, once you test positive, quarantine for five days, wear a mask everywhere you go for five days. Yep. Just don't test anymore, though, after that, because it's, you're fine. Because yeah. you, you can test positive for months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they're like, don't. Yeah, and you'll leave tests available for people that need to know if they actually have it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Instead, yeah. Of, instead of people buying, you know, <clears throat> 50 tests. Yeah. And constantly checking themselves. Oh. I mean, there gets to be a point where this is, you know, a little pathological. Yeah. And have we heard, like, especially like in Minneapolis or in New York, where you need places or where you'd like to go out, you need a negative test? Like, have there been shortages on tests that anybody has, has heard about? Dan just went to a Timberwolves game last night. And they went out to dinner beforehand. And he's like, the restaurant that we went to wasn't checking anybody's vaccine cards or tests. Yeah. But at the Timberwolves game, he just showed the ticket guy his negative test and he was like he didn't even look at the date he just saw the negative and was like bye didn't yeah, check his right. id right didn't, nobody, yeah. nobody, like the people that are working there they're not they don't yeah, they care don't enough care. to check no. everything every, every restaurant in la we had to short card and id oh yeah. really so yeah. when i was in every new york we went. they had yeah. an app that you uploaded a picture of your id and yeah. your vaccine card and had to yep. yeah, show but we had to show the id with it in the whole thing and you know, they checked them yeah but a lot of places in minneapolis st paul i guess were like we're not actually going to do it yeah mm-hmm. well and i heard that like the city's doing stings like they would do with like alcohol yeah. so like if oh, you did like yeah like send a group of people in and then i guess like the fine is technically it's not like a okay you didn't card anybody we're gonna slap you with a 500 hundred dollar fine it's like yeah. per person that you didn't well, id or card vaccine card oh, i guess yeah, yeah, yeah. i'm like i'm there just not gonna go. go out oh wait no i have to go to minneapolis next i month. watched these three guys come up get turned away because they didn't have their cards and started screaming all these things about them being nazis and all these things it's, well that's what i plan to do but yes. it's just a poor, <laughs> that's, that's it's the just a purposely leave it in the guy car. at the front door right. that's just the guy doing his job you know it's like i understand you don't like it but come on mm-hmm. it's not yeah. this guy's fault I know that you is know? ridiculous when it's like these people are just going. It's like okay, you've you've displaced your anger on this poor. So I just man. pointed out to him the Nazis might have just shot him there. Yeah, right. and that would have solved the problem. Might've. They didn't like that answer. They definitely would have. So I know okay. it's amazing how this is being compared to the Holocaust so much. It's like mm-hmm. okay, <laughs> right. relax. Yeah. It's not even close. Yeah. All right, Wally's up next. <laughs> <laughs> What time is it? Like three in the afternoon? Yeah, it's two twelve fourteen. We'll take a break. Be right back with hour two. Tommy, I never believed it until now, but apparently you're a pretty big deal. Was there ever a question in your mind? Well, you might say I was a doubting Thomas. See what I did there? Yes, how incredibly clever. Anyway, what's your point? Well, last month I was trying to find you a car to replace the Mafia Mobile and suggested leasing a Nissan Altima as it was impossible to find your first choice. I love that Altima, and I'm actually looking forward to checking out... The all-wheel drive as soon as it's known. Well, apparently someone at Nissan was listening to us, and at this month, at Coon Rapids Nissan and Burnsville Nissan, we can offer short-term 18-month leases. That's actually pretty smart. By then, the chip shortage will be over, right? Man, I hope so. The only chip shortage I want to hear about is Bilski dumping one into the bunker. 
By the way, for the first time ever, Coon Rapids Nissan was number one in the state, and Burnsville was number two. Your Altima was actually one of the cars that put JLo on top. To learn more about short-term leasing, stop into Burnsville Nissan or Coon Rapids Nissan. Michael Bryant, Brad Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Uh, we're just trying to represent people who've been injured through no fault of their own. We're trying to talk to them before they talk to an adjuster or before they take a settlement that isn't something they should get based upon their injuries. How many people are out there in different, not in the law business, that love to run around scaring people before you even get to them? Well, adjusters will want to settle cases right. and they want to close files. So based upon that, they do what they have to. Um, I think there's a lot of circumstances where they probably act as attorneys where they're not attorneys and they try yeah. to explain people's rights or they give them a certain view that if they look at it. And what I always say is this, if the adjuster really truly thinks the offer they made makes sense, they'd have them come see us. You know? And that's exactly my question is, you have to understand who has the best, your best interest in mind, correct? Well, you want to know what your rights are. You know, whether yep. or not you decide yep. you're going to hire us or not, that's a choice. It's a free consultation, and you want to understand what your, all your rights are and what coverages you have. And plus the fact, I hang out with you, so you got to be a good guy <laughs> if I'm hanging out with you. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah, okay. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. Hey, folks, Brian Zepp here. Spring is gearing up, and if you're like me, you've already got the itch to hit the road. Make sure you and your motorcycle are ready with Dennis Kirk. Whatever you ride, Harley, Indian, metric cruiser, or sport bike, you'll find what you need at DennisKirk.com. They've got 160,000 parts and accessories in stock, clothing and helmets, too. Order before 8 p.m., and they ship the same day. Plus, shipping is free for orders over 89 bucks. Get in gear and head to DennisKirk.com. Take it from Zap. They ship today. They remade bum, bum. Talking about how they remade Fraggle Rock. Fuck. What? What do you mean, what? I said, who remade Fraggle Rock? Uh, I don't know. It's on Apple TV. I don't know. Apple I Television. It. We watched it with the kids this weekend because they've seen the old Fraggle Rock a few times. Right. Yeah. And they... Um, we were just on Apple TV because the kids really like the show called Stillwater on Apple TV. Is it about Stillwater? Stillwater. It's about Stillwater, Minnesota. No, it's about a no. Buddhist panda that is named Stillwater. Oh, it's not the... the um, movie where he goes over and gets his daughter in France? Nope, not that one. Not that one. Oh, that's right. That's a still water. No, yeah. it's a Buddhist panda that like helps out his neighbor kids with everyday fiascos. Um, but yeah, and so we were on Apple TV and then it was like, Fraggle Rock coming January 20th and Dan lost his mind. He was so excited. Fraggle Rock. Wow. We got Paulie on the phone briefly because we have to call Jeff Cesario. Uh, Paulie. What's up, Paul? <clears throat> Paulie. Anybody? Yeah, it reminded me of that um, movie called in. He started talking he before he was... talked about your mom. Oh, yeah, when, Jeff, when when Louis started crying when I brought up my mom and he started calling. Yeah, I started crying. I remember that. Paulie, don't yeah, you think that he, um, that, yeah. that, 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 that he was knew a, at the time? That was such a wonderful tribute that you gave to, to Louis on on. on, on Friday, I think it was, or whatever it was. Yeah, it was Friday. I, I yeah, it Friday, yeah. Um, yeah, it was. Um, it was really beautiful, Tom. Well, it was very and, kind uh, of you, Paulie. Yeah. Yeah. I'm it was tough. I can guarantee you that. I I did choke up one time, but the but Brian and Candace stepped up and gave me the support, and I got through it. And finally, I said, "I gotta go, man. I gotta go." 
I do. Uh, yep. We will miss him. Well, Andy and Alex don't know life without Louis Anderson. He's known them since they were little kids. That's, That's true. That is true. It's weird to. Well, it's kind of it's kind of interesting that you say that because um, he had a TV show called Life with Louis. Yeah. Yes, he should. Right. How about being a kid? <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly what he did. Yeah, I, know. I just wanted to call in and thank you for the wonderful trip that they, they, you gave to Louie the other day. So, Paulie, you're a good um, man. Right, I appreciate you your call. Have a good day. All right, thanks. Thank you, sir. Okay. Bye. Okay. Well, he's going to make me tear up, damn you it. Know, we'll I'm, call Jeff President. I'm totally I'm still, I'm, I'm a little upset with Louis still. <laughs> but he died. <laughs> How dare no, you die? No, no. As soon dying? as he got on baskets, we started, started losing touch. He would call. He would used to call me all the time. And then when all he got on baskets, I, I remember it was like six months, and I hadn't heard from him. And I'm like, "Is what's wrong?" So I texted him, and I'm like, "You know what's going on?" And he's like, "Oh, don't you know that when I'm working on a show, I don't talk to anybody?" Hmm. And I said, Sassy. "Well, that sucks. <laughs> Why?" He's like, "I don't know. That's just how I am because I'm living over at uh, who was the original producer that was wanking off." Oh, of what? Yeah. That was Louis C.K. Louis C.K. Yep. Yep. I think Louis. he was living at Louis C.K.'s for the first year while they were trying to get it, get the show going. Would you going want to sit and... down on anything over there? No. I know. <laughs> well, that was before oh. all that happened. I well, think, that's I think the Baskets, big problem. <laughs> I think Baskets was two, year, two years old before that happened, two or three. And then there was a question if it was going to continue on mm-hmm. and all that I stuff. That. I think and, it was... yeah, and Louis got, you know, he got kind of like a second second act or third mm-hmm. act or whatever yeah. you want yep. to call it with baskets which i was very happy for him because he, yep. he did a great job he won the emmy it really revitalized his career he was very happy working he liked to work i mean before baskets he was kind of like i don't know maybe i should move back to minnesota there's just nothing happening for me anymore you know at my age and it just that's just how the show how show business is mm-hmm. and is. then he got basket so it took him away from us yeah. i feel yep. yeah but at the same time I was happy that he got it mm-hmm. yeah so i'm still a little mad at him <laughs> we have jeff on the phone no for not communicating i'm gonna do to jeff what i did to him this morning on the morning show you ready here we go Cesario, huh? <laughs> Italian, huh? <laughs> Stick to the tumbling. God, I love that's the, one of my favorite lines of all time, and it's your you know, fault. It was so. Uh, it was such a great moment and such a great uh, anecdote that never loses its power. That I actually wound up putting it on my my special, my album. That that was. <laughs> I, yes. I put it on there. I. I I said, this is the greatest moment I've ever had in show business. And I just told the anecdote, and the crowd just roared. They just went crazy. I got to tell you something, Mr. Cesario. I, got, I, can, I don't even know how many calls I got uh, the last hour of the show and after the show was over. People, you know, like moist-eyed and half-weeping calling, saying that was the greatest tribute to anybody we've ever heard. You and Jeff Cesario just nailed it. So congratulations, oh, sir. That's awfully sweet. So let's screw that all up right now. Yeah, we'll do that now. We'll screw it up now. <laughs> hey, you talk about a second act. Come on, where's mine? Uh, <laughs> this is it right now. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so, yeah, no, that's a great point uh, that uh, that Lou got a second, uh, second, second whack at 
at sort of top shelf um, um, heat. Yeah. I would put it that way. And, uh, and you know, Louis was, as we talked this morning, you know, the, the Louis I loved was, was a raconteur. He, he, you know, he's the sweetest guy on the planet and hugely emotional and connective and everything else. But, you know, I, I talked to him right after that, and he said, I, I'm grabbing this seat, and I'm moving on it. I'm going to try to produce some things. Mm-hmm. I'm going to see if I can't get, you know, a game show of my own going. You know, he he always understood the business. So, you know, there's a beautiful uh, uh, sort of Disney side to that second act, which is here's a guy who deserves uh, a shot to be a great actor, got it, and then delivered. And it's a wonderful, warm story. But there's another side of it that's equally as entertaining and fulfilling, which is you get a shot regardless of your age, Take that power base and turn it around and jam it down their throats for a couple of years. They've been, doing it, they've been doing it to us for the last two decades, however long, it's you know. True. So take advantage of it, man. You know, Jeff, we just, uh, like I said, lost Scott Hansen. We lose Bob Saget. You came on. Thank uh, thank you for coming on KQ then as well. Now we lose the three beat, then Louis Anderson. My God, it's you and me and that's it. Yeah, it's down. It's down to that. Uh, you know, I think Tom Dreesen is still alive. I'm not sure he though. is. Yeah, I just talked to him a couple months ago. He's a great guy. He's a great yeah, guy. Sure. He's, he's yeah. He's a super super dude. But yeah, we're just getting to that age where uh, you know we got to be aware of those friendships and um, you know yes. at least yep. do the man version of of saying hello and a big hug every time you see someone or giving them a call during a ball game or, or texting them mm-hmm. and saying, you know, what the hell was that play? Isn't that amazing? Just been thinking about you, that kind of thing, because you just don't know. I mean, you never know when, uh, <laughs> when uh, you never know when uh, one of our wives is going to just shove us down the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, come on. Don't listen to Kathleen. Listen to who listen is to Suzanne Plachette. Suzanne Plachette voice. Suzanne Plachette disagrees. <laughs> <laughs> it could happen. Who knows? More it likely, I'll flip down the stairs myself. I uh, I've been doing a joke on the uh, you know the last they came out with a study where the last thing uh, that that you hear or that people who People who are in a position where they might pass away, they're on a plane that looks like it's going to crash, they're in a bad car crash, something like that. The last thing that uh, they'll often hear is, is, I love you. And I said, well, you know, if you're married, the last thing, and you're a guy, the last thing you're going to hear is, what the hell were you thinking? <laughs> That's the last thing you're going to hear. If I'm spinning out on some black ice... <laughs> Headed for a bridge abutment. My wife's not going to let me forget it. <laughs> no, no, that's very, very true. It's very true. No, I, I tell you honestly, God, the, the thing that upsets me—it's not, you know. I guess it's not uh, important to you, but to me, uh, I gotta tell you, I just named three guys who were all three younger than me, which I'm not real yeah. happy about. <laughs> I will right? Tell you yeah. That. No. Like man. Yeah, I yeah. know that feeling. That's like, uh, don't back off the crest door. 
<laughs> that Lipitor, buddy. The Lipitor. <laughs> you know. Jeff, did you uh, did you get a chance to read funny things uh, about Minnesota? The book I about- haven't yet. That's the book that uh, they talked to. Joel and I, uh, Joel Madison and I, I think did our interviews together. We just uh, uh, the guy came out, so I, I I am not sure how much he was able to use or. Or anything, but I haven't had a chance to read the full book yet. No. Okay, because he he goes through a lot in the history of you know comedy in Minnesota, and and it's it's interesting. You're in there a lot, um, but it's just interesting. I'm just wondering how overall accurate it is as far as you know all the different versions that are in there. Well, you know, I don't know because I haven't read it, but uh, you know, I liked uh, the way he conducted the interview and uh, and the, the the excerpts that he sent Joel and I. Uh, were really good, and it was nice of him to do that so that if there was an inaccuracy or at least something in dispute, we could uh, we could toss our, our version into the ring. But uh, it's a hell of a story, yeah. you know. Uh, it's, it's an incredibly small market at the, uh, at the complete explosion of comedy nationally, and, uh, and yet it's batting about 500%, if not higher. I mean, the people who came out of that first wave of Minneapolis comics, it's pretty stunning. You got Joel Hodgson, who's who's quite frankly a a genius. You know, he was just, he was was a performance artist who was actually funny. You know what I mean? He's like an artist. He's like your artist friend. When you walk over their house and their kitchen's loaded with half-painted paintings, and you just go... Well, that's him. You know, <laughs> you know that's who he was. Except everything he did was hilarious. Then there's Liz Winstead, who goes off and creates the freaking Daily Show for me, right. which has completely right. redefined the way we approach news and comedy. You know, then there's Louis, uh, who you know had a, such an incredible career. There, there's me, who went on picked up a couple of Emmys with Dennis Miller Live and worked with Shandling and. Went on to work with Latifah and wrote some movies and stuff. Then you got Joel Madison and Sid Youngers, who went on to help shape Roseanne and then moved into, I mean, Sid, Sid is still working. Last Man Standing, the Tim Allen thing, he's on that. Uh, Joel created uh, Malcolm and Eddie. He's moved on, you know, and, and, and continued to write. Uh, you know, there's uh, Mike Gandolfi who came out here and wrote yes. like crazy on staff. You know, at various shows, there's just, it it goes on and on. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of comedians who came out of there and just really, really put the pedal to the metal. And there's other scenes, we we touched on this a little bit this morning, there's other scenes at that nexus in the early 80s that were smaller, but were tremendous. Uh, uh, Detroit had a great scene that, you know, produced uh, uh, Tim Allen and Dave Coulier and several other guys. There was Houston, that an incredible scene that produced Kinnison and, and so many, and Carl LeBeau and so many other great comics. Uh, but, you know, there was that added element in Minneapolis where the city itself was kind of blowing up at the same time. Prince was coming on. Uh, you know, uh, uh, other rock and roll acts were popping in the city. You know, it was happening musically. From an art standpoint, it was crushing. You know, suddenly the Guthrie Theater, the museums were killing it nationally. People were going, this is a great town. you got to move to Minneapolis. It's the hippest town on the planet. So we had that extra 
extra kick in the ass from the zeitgeist standpoint. And I think, uh, you know, the comics made the most of it. You know, they really did. Yeah, I don't think there's any question about it. Why do you think that is? Because in general, uh, there are there's a side of Minnesota, and I've always talked about this. There are two Minnesotas. There are the nice people and the people who think they're the greatest thing on earth and you don't measure up. And there's nobody in between. There's, like, really nice people and massive pains in the ass. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. You know what I'm saying, right? Yeah, that's kind of true. It's, it's very interesting. Um, I think there was just, you can't explain it. That, that's, what, uh, you know, that's what these things are, these waves that crest. It's just right place, right time, right chemistry, mm-hmm. right mix of people. You know, if they don't get uh, a completely acerbic New Yorker like Jeff Gerbino to come in in 79 or whenever mm-hmm. he hit town, uh, you know, and push these guys like Scott Hansen and Louie and Alex Cole and, and sort of just push them from a completely straight-up competitive uh, angle and make everybody better, who knows? You know, if if Bill Bauer doesn't come along at that time, what other scenes had Bill Bowers in them? You know, Bill Bauer was, in a sense, Kinnison pre-Kinnison. You yeah, know, he was, he was. just, yep. he, he was dark, but it never struck you as evil. It was just, uh, it was just crazy dark. <laughs> you know, he, he, he never approached a, a premise like anybody else on the planet. He was completely unique and different. So now you've got that element in there. But now you've got these guys who are all sniping at each other's asses, trying to carve out as much of the Mickey Finn's door money as they can, which God. was pathetic. You know, <laughs> it was no like money $12. at all. But that's where the, yeah. And the only one who was popping out to do other work was Alex Cole, who managed to get, you know, a lawyer and an agent, and he was doing colleges and opening for rock bands and stuff, so he kind of had his own thing going. Everybody else was left to pick up the crumbs. Then the heat started to hit on the scene. Then it really started, uh-oh, we're getting return business. There's only 45 freaking seats in Mickey Finn. People are coming <laughs> back the very next week going, we saw that bit last week. And right then, new blood hits, with with Joel and me, and the and the 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 secondary blood that was already in there, the Gary Johnsons, the Chris Rains, those comics, they started to get more stage time, and 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 then this new blood came in, and you know I was there literally, Tom, three weeks, and they said, all right, you're working every weekend, come in with new material. Ooh, wow. And I was like, holy crap. And then within 10 months, Louie had created the Minneapolis Comedy All-Stars. Right, the All-Stars, And And we popped at Dudley Riggs, and that was a huge chance. And it paid off because Louie dumped every ounce of energy he had into that to make it work. Because Not because he was, you know, uh, a giving, sensitive human. It was because he was like, man, we are chopping up $33 a week. Excellent. We gotta get some money, man. <laughs> this you is go. bullshit. I want to move to L.A. Let's get this going. And he knew he was the only one with the moxie and the street smarts to pull that together. So he got Cole, 
that was a key piece for him. He said, all right, I need another big swinger in town, and that's Alex. I can talk Alex into it. Then I need two young guys to come in. Who's, who's, the, who's the young guys in town who are going to keep writing and keep cranking new material? Cesario, plus Cesario knows how to write a damn press release. Even though he doesn't know how to talk to a human being, he's still freaking fractured emotionally. So I'll pick him up, and, and Madison will keep going because – because he's Jewish, he'll help me out on the business side, and he'll be able to work the booth. Because that way, I don't have to pay somebody for the booth. Now I got to go sell Dudley. He pulled it all together, made it work, and boom! I'm a year into stand-up comedy. One year into stand-up comedy, I'm getting two and a half hours of stage time a week. Wow! People would kill for that to this day, oh, and yeah. nobody had a phone that could take a goddamn movie so you could make a lot of your mistakes <laughs> in the complete privacy of a seven-person crowd. <laughs> you know, and nobody's going to believe the guy who goes back to work and says, I can't believe this comic kicked a drink in my lap. You know, nobody would believe him anyway. So, so we made all those errors and all those mistakes uh, on, our, on our own time in a great environment. Minneapolis was a great town for comedy because they would not let you, they, you got one pass, one cheap joke. Everybody would laugh and go, okay, cool. Now where's the real stuff coming from? And if you went to more cheap jokes, they didn't, they didn't buy it. They wanted to hear good stuff. It was a good comedy town. So you had to work hard for it. And, uh, and that was the, that was the alchemy that became the Minneapolis comedy scene uh, of the early 80s. And then, hopefully, laid the groundwork for another generation to come out. And it's still going. I mean, there's great comics. Pete Fox and Cy Amundsen. And there's, there's, there's guys all over that town uh, that, that, are, that are just killing it, man. What's you know, it's, it's still a great comedy scene. Still a great comedy. And the only, you know, the downside to that was we were so far off the beaten path that we didn't get national headliners. So, you know, when I was there, nobody came through town. Scott Hansen was the guy in the mm -hmm. mid-'80s who used right. the impetus to bring Louie back, bring me back when I was starting to do Tonight Shows and stuff like that. And that created an environment where national headliners were like, hey, we got to put Minneapolis on the schedule, man. They're, they're crowds are killing. They're selling shows out. So he was the guy who did that when we started – the only guy who came through was Rich Scheidner, and, uh, and he came through and he killed. And we were all like, holy smokes, this guy has a whole other different approach. So that was great, but he was Louie and him were the only two guys I knew uh, when I moved to Los Angeles. <laughs> so, oh, you my know, God. The upside is you're ready to go if you can crowbar your way on stage people in the back of the room, even if there's only three people in the crowd, the people that count in the back of the room, the comics, the bookers, they're all going to go, okay, this guy knows what he's doing. But getting that, getting that crowbar on the stage could be hard if you hadn't worked with people on the road. You hadn't been in Atlanta working with Jeff Foxworthy or middling for Seinfeld or working with any of the New York comics out in Boston or out east anywhere. So you really had to work extra hard. And, uh, but we did it, and, and, and Louie did it first, and then helped me get into the comedy store, which helped me get into the improv, which is where I wound up working mostly. And then uh, the, the, and Hodgson was already out here killing it. So 
that first wave, the three of us especially, I think, really hopefully helped the next guys, even if it was just crashing on the couch for as long as you needed. And uh, it, it was heady times, man. It was, was fun. Was the All-Star name very controversial when Louis created it? Was the what? With the All Star name, calling it that group All Stars with Dudley Rig. Oh yeah, because the book the yeah. book kind of talks a little bit about it, and then they got the Louis part kind of soft soaps it a little bit, like oh we didn't mean All Stars like real great All Stars, right. but it seemed like it would be a big deal to name something All Stars. Oh, everybody hated us. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Wow. they hated us, especially me and Joel because. They couldn't say anything to, to Louie or Al because they oh. were the two best comics in town. Okay. You know, there, there's no doubt about it. Hanson is a, was a great comic and a great writer, but already Scott's head was sort of into, I want to open a room. And within, within a year of that, he'd opened uh, the, the cabaret right. uh, on, on, you know, uh, near Uptown there. So he'd, his... Creative muse was already moving him a slightly different way, so there's no doubt about it. Uh, 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 Louis Anderson and Alex Cole were the two top dogs in town. Then they get the two of us, and and then it was like like uh, you know Louis said we need a name, we need a snappy name, and I don't know how it came up. Mm-hmm. I don't know who thought of it. We started kicking it around. We went Minneapolis Comedy All Stars, and we went. Well, that's a great hook. That's a great way to put it, you know. Let's do it and see what happens. And then <laughs> I think to Joel's credit and to my credit, we, we, we you know how, like, when you elect a president, uh, especially one you don't like, you go, well, maybe he'll grow into the job. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, we all think that, you know. And, yeah. and I think that yeah. the last George Bush is the greatest example of that. Everybody, even Republicans, went, yeah, all right, well, you know, maybe he'll grow. And he, and he did. You know, 9-11 happened, and he kind of stepped up to the plate there, and he kind of grew into it. And I think that's what Joel and I did. We, we, we grew into the billing of it. And, and you know, I, I don't think my track record uh, is going to do anything but uphold uh, the name Minneapolis Comedy All-Star. You know, I think I went on pretty quickly to do uh, Los Angeles and then a couple of Letterman's and then a string of Tonight shows. So um, I, I believe I'm, I'm, I'm one of the one of the better comics out of that scene. And and Joel, you know, his muse moved him more in a writing way. But bam, he helped shape Roseanne, which completely revolutionized yeah. the way people did sitcoms. So you know, pissed on a local level, yes. But I think if you <laughs> ask any of those guys now. Uh, they would all go, you know, yeah. It was a marketing hook, and it worked for them. And then, and then, uh, and then they proved that billing was accurate by having tremendous careers. No, no. Do you have a little more time, Jeff? Because I have to take a, about a two-minute break. But I want to come yeah. back because there's another part of this that happened, and I personally didn't know that it was true. But we just found out, and you know. Michael Bryan knows what because it's in the book. Uh, we'll be back in two minutes more with Jeff Cesario and another element of that whole business that blew up because of Mickey Finn. So there's no doubt about it. We'll be right back. Tom here for Shift Real Estate. Last year, about this time when we were making plans for Key West, I met the folks from Shift Real Estate. And when I heard the Shift story, it made sense to me. 
It made sense to my kids, and it makes sense to pretty much everybody that's heard about them. Shift Real Estate saves home sellers thousands of dollars on real estate fees. How do they do it? Shift lists for a flat fee of $5,000. You work with a full-time salaried agent. They take professional photos and videos of your home, list it on the MLS, and market your home online, all for a $5,000 flat fee. Call Shift Real Estate and tell them about your home. Tell them that you heard me talking about it, and they will tell you how you can save $10,000 or more when you list with Shift. It's the common sense way to sell your home. Visit Shift2Sell.com. That's Shift, the number two, Sell.com. Because life is expensive enough. And we are back with Stretch's Picks. You know, Tom, uh, there's a lot of analysis that goes into these picks. Yeah. And uh, I highly recommend betting, of course. I always recommend betting. Yeah, absolutely. So who's winning this thing? The kitties, the pack, the bears, or the purple? None of the above. Those are all the teams in the division. I know that. Well, who's your pick? I'm going with Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. What? It's not a football team. I know, but it's a hell of an HVAC company. They do the most thorough system tune-up in the industry. Sabre is one of the largest Bryant dealers in the state, which means you save. Yep, I'm going with Sabre, Sabre and Bryant, doing whatever it takes to keep you comfortable. It's also the smartest time to call and schedule your furnace tune-up with Sabre. Get the most thorough tune-up in the industry from the people who keep my home comfortable. Oh, uh, one more thing, Tom. What's that? Visit SabreHeating.com. Tom here for Continuum Weight and Well-Being. Continuum is here, it's new, and they're doing it differently. There are no meal replacements or foods you're required to purchase. There are no pills or surgeries. They specialize in customizing meal plans for you using all whole, nutritious foods. They don't just focus on weight loss. They are upfront with their pricing. And most importantly, Continuum is designed for long-term success. Schedule a free consultation and find out more today. Go to their website, ContinuumWeightWellbeing.com, or call or text them at 952 952- Four nine one six five two seven. That's Continuum C O N T I N U U M ContinuumWeightWellbeing.com. I've learned so much from them, and I know you will too. Continuum Weight and Wellbeing: Life Beyond Weight Loss Mode. We are back, ladies and gentlemen, talking about Louis Anderson, about Scott Hansen, about Bob Saget. Right now, we're talking a lot about the Louis Anderson part of it. And Scott Hansen, part of it. Jeff Cesario with us. Um, there was another thing that I didn't even know. I just assumed that it was, you know, nationwide. I, I don't know why I didn't know this, but because of Mickey Finn's, because of all the things you were talking about, uh, Mr. Cesario, the KQ Morning Show started inviting comedy uh, comedians in on Fridays, and they would come in and do a show. And I did not know this, but that had never happened anywhere in America before, for Christ. I, I didn't, that morning shows did not have unknown, you know, they'd have the Bob Hopes of the world on, you know, right. more as an actor than a comedian. But morning shows in America didn't have comedians on, which I, I didn't even know that was true. It was just a, such a natural for me. I went, let's get some comedians yeah. in. We got a bunch of guys over at Mickey Finn's and... and it changed everything. And the book, uh, you know, my, Michael Bryan pointed out, the book brings that up. And until then, I just assumed everybody did it. Well, I think I there's a know. pretty obvious explanation. What? Morning show. 
When I think comedian, I don't think morning riser. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. I, can, I can confirm as, yeah. as working at a comedy club, trying yeah. to get comedians oh up to a eight o'clock, nine o'clock, ten oh, o'clock yeah. interview is like pulling teeth. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Yeah, Even sometimes on the yeah, podcast, they're, 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 they'd come in and they were like, "It's really oh. early for me." I'm like, "It is and, one." And yeah. every every single one of them goes, "Well, could I just do it remotely? Like, yeah, have, like, like just get out of bed and let's go." Oh my god. Yeah, that's really true, but what a great instinct. And again, I think that's part of that sort of creative explosion that, uh, you know, that zeitgeist, which is, you know, the definition of that. I had to look it up because I was kicking it around. But, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's honestly like, like uh, uh, that's the Dennis Miller in me. Use the term first, then go figure out what the hell it means. Yeah, uh, there you go. There you go. But, but you know, it really does mean a, a an external force that that has an effect on a time and a place in history. And there was just something in the air back then. Who knows why you did that, Tom? Who knows why in 81 or whatever you said, you know what, let me have a couple of these guys on and see what happens. And then that starts to grow. And then all yeah. of a sudden, everybody in town goes... Hey man, you got to get on Bernard. Oh, you're not getting on Bernard. There's no way you're getting on Bernard. <laughs> and you know, then it becomes a thing. Then, then the guy, then the national acts who start to come through town go, "Well, look, why? How? How come I'm not doing that? Let's boost the gate at the door." Then all yep. of a sudden, they're knocking on your door to come on in and do some time. And yeah, they'll make all the jokes they want about it being 7:43 a.m. But they're there, and they're cranking A material because they want masses in the seats. And all of a sudden, there's this whole other element to the creativity in Minneapolis in the early 80s. Mm-hmm. And that helps shoot you through. You're doing your thing. You're coming up with a, with a, a family of people, entertainers, uh, staff that you can rely on for a joke here or there. Someone you know you can tease on a constant basis. Who's the best sidekick? Let me figure this. You're you're right. creating that alchemy, and at the same time, this other element comes in. And I, I'm sure you didn't sit down and go, "Let me let me mull and ponder the <laughs> You no, just went, me. Uh, "Shit, bring Scott in for a couple of minutes. We'll see what happens." You know exactly. And, and, and then it rolls. It just creates its own momentum, and suddenly, you're the hottest thing in the country. On so many levels, as a city, as a radio show, as a comedy scene, as a music scene, and and it's all just there on a silver platter, and you just you try not to think about it because you don't want to be the one who who karmically pops the, the, uh, bursts the bubble. You just want to keep riding it. You know, you just keep riding that wave. No question about. I, I got to give credit where credit is due. However, I figured back then. And again, I just talked about watching an episode of 1981 when Rodney Dangerfield was on The Tonight Show. But I literally sat there and went, well, this is a radio show, but hey, you know what? If comedians are good enough for Johnny Carson, they're good enough for me. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, I mean, literally, yeah. Literally, that's what I thought. It's like, Johnny does it, why don't we do it? And then you get into that whole vibe of, much like they do on the talk shows, uh, it's well hidden because not that many comedians go over to a couch, regardless of the talk show, right, and do a set right. from there. And television is much more conservative, so they want to make sure you have bullet points so that thing stays on the rails. But yep. the thing I always loved about coming into your show was, for me, I could breathe. 
Yeah, yep. you guys had two or three areas. It was always, you know, every other place, almost every other place in the country that I wound up going to when I was doing the road heavy in the 80s and 90s was, what are your bullet points? You're giving them oh, bullet points. God. Then <laughs> if you, you know, if you sense the the DJ is has a little bit of something, maybe you try and go off off the beaten path a little bit and see what happens. But I believe I had done your show once before I left town. And that kind of broke the ice because we knew each other a little bit and it went well. And then when I would, whenever I would come back, it was like, get him in. And then it was like, is he here already? Well, have him come in early for this segment and let him sit around and roast this poor bastard. He's coming in <laughs> trying to push some new snowblower or some crap. Who knows? You know, but it became like, oh, Cesario will eat this up. Here, you know, we got somebody who brought donuts in free, but they're the worst donuts on the planet. Cesario's here, bring him in. You know, and I, I loved that. I loved that because it was not the usual bullet point crap. It was like, let's create something here in the room. You know, yeah, and that, that was so much fun. Does that intimidate people too much when, when, when guys at your level of comedy come in? Are they just intimidated? They're so scared they don't want to talk? I don't know. I, I don't know why they wouldn't. My God. It was great. <laughs> really? You want to go in and do the same eight jokes you just did at the last radio show? What are you freaking nuts? Have a ball. <laughs> you know, exactly. there are some people who, who have that muscle. And there are some who just don't, and you know who they are because you've had them all through. You yeah. know the guys who can, you know the Dana Goulds of the world who are going to sit in and go, if you touch that bullet point list, I'm going to come in the glass booth and kill you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, read the news and let's get going. Like, give me stuff. Give me new stuff. And, and then there are, there are people who don't respond to that. And, and you know, you respect them because you've got to deal with the clubs in town. And you want them to come in and be funny and do their thing and then get out of right. there. But you know instantly what that is. You can sense instantly, Tom, I'm sure. That's the muscles you built up over such a mm -hmm. tremendous career. If you know instantly, all right, he's not, he can't play. I, I will just right. feed him gently these bullet points. And I'll step out, and I'll give him the stage and make him sound great so that at the end of it I can go, he's at Joe Blow's club, you know. He's killing it. Go down and see him. He's great, you know, because you're a pro. Um, you know, you know, you don't go in and bust their balls. You just go, okay, here's that. That's, that's who this person is. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be okay with that. So I have no excuse for Rich Hall, then? Is it like the <laughs> Rich Hall, yeah. <laughs> what happened with Rich? That's he went guy. and... Went in Studio B uh, to promote, I believe he was at, uh, I can't remember if he was at the Mall of America. I think he was Mall of America. It yep. was the Mall of America. Mm -hmm. uh, came on the show, we go to him, and he never talked. He just sat there at the mic, open mic, reading a book. Yep. Wow. Did he not know he was on? Or? Oh, he knew. He just was a prick. He was a total a pain in the ass. Dude. A lot of ticket Jeff, sales that weekend. I, bet. I, I got one other question from the book. Let me just finish what I'm oh, saying. Go okay? ahead. Sorry. And then you can jump in. Yeah. So I said, look, I understand I'm not as interesting as Sniglets, but I'm trying my best. <laughs> and he did not think that was funny at all. But I did. Oh, but, but that's, sometimes you got to. I mean, you know, yep. you, you see it. 
rarely on a national stage. Once uh, Letterman was a little more free with that muscle than anybody else. Yep. But sometimes you got. Sometimes, you know, you gotta you gotta throw a jab to the face and then hit him in the ribs just to go, dude. You know, I cannot carry all this weight myself. Indeed. You know, and uh, and uh, I'm sure you parsed that out. Very, very carefully. But when you did, you knew, you knew somebody needed it. He did need it, and I then I kind of stood up to make sure that uh, he, <laughs> he needed to leave. Time to go. Anyway, Michael, you had a you had a question. What, one last question from the book. Did you ever do the Chinese restaurant? The the when they had uh, when they had it set up for the shows from the restaurant down on four ninety four. Oh, Howard Wong's. Oh man, I don't know. I honestly can't remember. I know I did a place uh, right on campus that was in the basement, uh, and I know I did um, a jazz club on 494 when I opened for Ben Sidron, uh, and I got that oh gig to the Peterson Boys. I got that was my first opening gig ever, really. Uh, was uh, uh, what, uh, I had befriended the Petersons, all of whom are just unbelievable musicians, Ricky and they Paul are. and yep. Billy and and, uh, and Patty and the whole family's insane, uh, you know. And but they got killer senses of humor. So we would just hang around and I'd, I'd crush them because at the time I was still doing a little bit of playing when I first got to Minneapolis, did some studio work on congas and Latin hand percussions and stuff, and that's how I met those guys, and we became fast friends. So I did a jazz club out there, um, and uh, those are really the only uh, aberrations I can remember that wasn't either Mickey Finn's or Dudley Riggs. I'm sure I did a bunch of places, but I just can't remember them. Okay. You know, i got to throw something very quick. You know Ricky Peterson. I love Ricky Peterson. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did a, a song. Uh, I did a song with him called "King oh, of the yeah, World." Oh yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, I, I'm the king of the world. <laughs> that's it. That's the one. I'm pretty. Yeah, that's I'm, a great. I'm so song. pretty. But here's yeah, my favorite thing. And that was on thing. the soundtrack for uh, Hoop Dream. Yeah, exactly. We did. Yeah, they used a little bit of that in Hoop Dream. Never got a check for it, but you know, <laughs> let me tell you. When I was like, I, anyway, um, my favorite story, Ricky Peterson comes in the studio one day and he goes, Tommy, I got to tell you something. I was so embarrassed. I said, what's the matter? He said, I want a tour of Japan. Okay, we flew over to Japan. And we get there and uh, get off the plane and it's pretty damn cold out. He said, I, I thought it was going to be a lot warmer than it actually was, but it was really, it was really cold. And he said, I, I literally was not focused on where I was, what I was doing. They brought me into a radio station an English-language radio station in Japan to do an interview, right? Uh-huh. And Ricky says, here's what he does. He sits down, and the guy says to him, oh, well, welcome to Japan. How, how, uh, what do you think of Japan so far? And he said on the air, oh, there's a little nip in the air. <laughs> <laughs> and he went, oh, my. And he didn't mean to do it. He didn't mean to do right, it. Right, right. He just said it because there was a little nip in the air. It was cold. There's a little. He sure. said the guy looked at him like he wanted to kill him. <laughs> oh my god, that's hilarious. Those guys are funny, man. I mean, musicians oh are god, the funniest yes. people in the world. I've yep. had some of the greatest times in my lives with those guys. They're great. Yeah. So I would say probably, even though I haven't read the book, it sounds like uh, you know the dude's right on the money. Yeah, <laughs> he is. Yeah, he's a great book. It was a good, it's well worth a the very time. Nice it's a great book. 
Yep. It good, is indeed. Good. Yeah, that story should be told. All right, let's talk again more about your wife giving me dirty looks every time I see her. <laughs> Never. Not a dirty look. Just, <laughs> I think it's a question of having heard your voice growing up. Oh, yeah, and, You know, and, and, and then never being able to put a face to it. You know, it may not be the face she had envisioned. Oh, well, thank you, Jeff. <laughs> Boy, look at the time. <laughs> Well, hang on. I thought that was pretty tactful. <laughs> I thought, actually, in general, yes, I, I must agree. There's no question. But what the hell? I just. <laughs> no, but I mean, seriously, I mean, you know, when you hear a great voice and, and then you, in your head, you've got something in your head. So maybe that's it. But, but, you know, I think it's mostly, you know, mostly just teasing you back. Probably true, it. but. Let me tell you something. You know how much it means to me that you reached out uh, a few times now and helped me through these things? Because I needed help getting through this Louie thing. I can guarantee you that, Jeff. I needed help. Well, I kind of figured, I mean, you know, we were all around, like I say. You know, there, there's, you know, I, I hate to make military comparisons because that's such a different ball game, But it is a bit of a figure of speech now. It, it, it was a foxhole in a way. Mm-hmm. You know, we were living through an amazing time. And it, you know what it's like? It's like a plane, and, and you don't have a pilot. And then everybody just takes turns flying the damn thing. Because yeah. it's going, uh, you know, a thousand miles an hour, and it's moving forward, and it's going somewhere great. And, but, you know, you don't know where or what it is, but it's just like, let's ride this, baby. And we were in that plane together. You know, all the comics, you... Uh, you know, your crew, uh, the musicians, there was just such a crazy-ass energy there. It literally crackled. And 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 then to be in a place in our lives where we've gotten so many great things, all of us, lived through pain and heartache, too. But, I mean, you know, we've had some wonderful lives all over. And then, oh, God, you know, yes. one of you passes away, you, you got to think to yourself, okay, we're at this stage now. This is the stage we're at. Let's readjust. Let's enjoy what we can of it. Um, and let's get a, a dark, funny sense of humor about it. And let's relive the good times and 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 go out. Go out in a blaze of glory, man. I think that's the only only route to take. And you know what you were just talking about? That, that's what I, I try to focus on, you know, because, I mean, let's be honest. Television, radio, and newspapers are going away. They got about another... Local TV and radio and, and newspapers have about maybe five more years left, and they'll all just disappear. There's nobody coming up right. underneath. Matter of fact, they have to invent listeners under 40 because nobody under 40 listens to the radio. So that could never right. happen again. That will never happen again, what, what you and Louie right. and all the people around me did. It'll never happen again because radio's not big enough to do it anymore. Yeah, and, and things change. I, I had... A, quite a jolt of hope. I saw a kid on uh, TikTok. I saw him interviewed somewhere else, uh, and I don't remember his name. He has an Arabic name. Uh, and he, he does these funny 15-second comedy videos. And, you know, I always keep an open mind to that, only because that's the language of 25-year-olds right now, uh, trying to make it in comedy is, you know, forget stage time you know i mean they'll put out albums that are half 
path yeah. developed, yeah. only because you have to have an album out every year or you don't have a following. So it's a whole different ballgame. But this kid was hilarious. I can't remember his name, but he's got like a million followers. He's making incredible coin. His goal is to make hilarious movies and be in them. He's got a great dream. And he does these 50-second things that are... I mean, he did a thing where he pulls up at one of those places where they bring food out to your car, you know, like uh, like like window service. You know, they're going to hang a tray on your car, burgers or whatever. And the guy comes careening out of the restaurant and just crashes all the food right into the guy into the guy's lap. <laughs> I mean, you know, he clearly has a sense of comedy that goes back to frickin' Buster Keaton. Yeah. You know, and he's he's 24, and I'm thinking, okay, this can live in its heart and soul. Comedy will live in in the heart and soul of other comedians if people like this continue to do comedy. And then the, the flotsam and jetsam washes away, and we got the tried and true still. Regardless of the platform on which it's delivered, it's still literally a Coke in the lap, and then water hit his girlfriend in the passenger seat. You know, you only got 15 seconds to tell a story. And the girlfriend was hot. And then she looks up, and it's a guy in a wig. <laughs> because, <laughs> because water hit her, and she was like some sort of vampire. But, I mean, all this happened in 15 seconds, and it was hilarious. And I thought, okay, we're in good hands if people like this can keep doing comedy. No doubt. I tell you one thing, you know, to have you on this, this morning and then come on the podcast as well and in 10 minutes, Kostaki Economopoulos, one of my favorite people in the world, is going to be on. More like, yeah, I need, he's great. I need lots and lots of laughing and great stories and looking back at, we did achieve a lot, Pally. Now, i got to ask, because I know we only got about one more minute, but Andy and Alex, what, what was it like growing up in that whole era? I mean, you didn't know any different because... This was going on, and you just kind of thought that's how life was. But I mean, that'd be pretty exciting to be meeting people, and then all of a sudden you'd watch TV or go to a movie, and there they'd be, and you you already knew. Did that feel weird, or was it just normal for you? It was just how it was. Yeah. You know, when it's something's the way that it's been since you were born, you don't really know that's any true. different. Yep. Exactly. Uh, Jeff, I can't tell you how much uh, gratitude I have for what you've done over the years. I, I love hanging out with you. We got to get out and play some golf again, man. We got to do it, no doubt about it. We I haven't do. played in two years. Oh man, we got to get out. Let me tell you something before I leave. Those North American Bank guys are a half an inch from a Dave Thomas Rick Moranis sketch. They <laughs> are great. They're awesome. <laughs> I heard that commercial. I immediately wanted to invest money with them. I, I did. Bilski's a great guy. So great. Uh, one of the you listeners wants to know if uh, you wanted to pick you up some tenudas or some broad stop. <laughs> oh, man. If somebody's going to be there, tenudas all the way. Uh, you know, the broad stop's great, but tenudas, or uh, I've often said this here's how Italian uh, Kenosha was when I was growing up. Mars Cheese Castle on the west side of town. People think it's named after the planet. It's named after a guy named Mario. Okay, mm. that's oh. Mars Cheese. <laughs> that's your Mars right there, baby. Exactly. Come to town yeah, soon. I got you, your Mars right here. You got to come to town very, very soon, Pally. I do. Say hi to Kostaki. I just had him on on my uh, Chet Waterhouse podcast, Play with Pain, and he was great. He's just oh, loaded with so many great jokes. The last part. Thank you, sir, right, and say friend. hello to your lovely wife for Thank me. Thank you. You got a chin to the wind, guys. <laughs>
Chin to the Chin wind. To the Jeff Cesario, ladies and gentlemen, one of the best in the business. We'll talk to you tomorrow with the family. 